Well, welcome everybody. This is the Fat Paramotor Podcast. I am your host. Well, I'm the Fat Paramotor Guy, but you can call me Sean. In the studio as well, we've got a young whippersnapper. He's the co-host and we've got Daniel Jones. Daniel, welcome. How's things going? Hi, Sean. Yeah, doing well tonight. Excited to get this podcast uh, off the ground and going. Yeah, isn't it exciting, eh? The idea of doing a podcast. We've been talking about this for for quite a while now. We've had a few rehearsals and uh, and chats and bits and pieces, and we've had this lockdown thing. And this is it now. We're we're actually going to have a crack at recording a podcast and see how it goes. Pretty exciting, eh? Yeah, I mean, we'll see how, like you say, we'll see how it goes, and hopefully, uh, we can provide some entertainment for everyone out there and people enjoy it. Awesome stuff, mate. What, well, what have you been up to paramotoring recently? Well, it's been a bit of a funny one, really, because of all the lockdowns and stuff that we've had, uh, I've just been working through the content that I've racked up over last year. Uh, had a great flying season last year with all the furlough and stuff. Managed to get out quite a bit. Went to the championships and uh, just been editing videos for that, really, at the moment. Waiting to get back in the sky. Ah, good stuff, mate. Well, I think everybody's about ready to go, aren't they? I know um, Wingland Airfield up here, they have they opened a couple of days ago for uh, for solo flying, you know, people flying as individuals, and um, everybody's trying to crank back into it. It's been a tough year, but, but here we are. But anyway, so we've got a theme for the podcast today. We're going to talk about learning to fly. Um, I know a lot about learning to fly because I've spent most of my paramotoring career learning to fly in things, but that's what we're going to talk over at the moment. So, Daniel, I think we should talk uh, first up by talking about lessons and things. Is it, who taught you to fly? Um, so, as you've just said, um, the Winglands have opened. I actually trained at Wingland uh, with Mike Chilvers, his school, You Fly for Fun. Oh, chilly. Yeah, good old chilly. It did start before that, though. Um, so I was probably interested in the whole paramotor thing a couple of years before I actually took official training um, and taught myself how to ground handle to a point of being able to add the motor. So I was pretty much there. It did take a lot longer than it did. Well, it would have done from what I've seen from students excelling within a week to flying you know yeah so you started off teaching yourself to ground handle i did a bit of that as well I, it all started with whiskey somebody bought me a bottle of whiskey one night this is when i was living in australia i was talking to my mate on the um on by text message and things on the phone drinking this whiskey and he was drinking uh, sambuca i think it was back at his house and when we woke up in the morning we'd bought a paramotor together <laughs> and i think the first ever video that i did was uh was me trying on this paramotor and then after that i bought a wing and and my first lessons was was the same that was learning to ground handle and things and self-taught and it, it didn't <laughs> it didn't go that well but uh, uh but you progressed a bit faster i think hey eh? Uh, well, like I said, it took me sort of about two years. Um, but yeah, I've definitely got some stories from trying to ground handle. I remember the first day, just not even really knowing how to get out of the bag and get it inflated. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's you'd get that straight away with, it, with a trainer, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and I imagine you've got some stories as well about, you know, ground handling and going back to schools and... I actually learned with um, a flying school called Tribal Flight in Queensland in Australia. And the instructor there was a guy called Mike Fox. And I really enjoyed my training in Australia. I think it's different to the training they do here in the UK. And uh, 
but my first ever lesson was just I just had a, a day with him, a free day. And, he, you know, his words were, come and spend a day. It's free. Um, I'll, I, I need to assess you and see whether you're trainable in a way. That's um, kind of what I was looking for. And uh, if we get on, um, I'll, I'll teach him. And it was more or less like that. So that was my first ever experience. So I had a day where he showed me how to sort of the basics of ground handling. And then I never saw him for a year because uh, I moved from Brisbane to, to, uh, to Cairns in Australia, which is about 1,500 miles away. So so I ended up then um, just spending a year uh, teaching myself to ground handle and things. And uh, uh, it was frustrating, mate. It was frustrating. Yeah, I'm sure it was. But even that first initial free training day, like that, when you get those fundamentals to start with, yeah, that you can inflate a wing and you can have a play and see what works. Uh, you won't necessarily catch on as quick in that sense, because you haven't got someone over your shoulder saying, oh, you need to pull this brake and you need to move this way to make it work. But at least you've sort of got a bit of a foundation there. Um, I remember myself like struggling with that because we were like running like hell, it like with the wind, against the wind, crosswind. Um, and I do remember one one Christmas morning, we'd got so fed up with trying to ground handle in like lower winds that me and my brother actually took this wing out on Christmas Day over the wreck that was pretty much joined to the house at the time. And uh, it was probably blowing like 20 gusts in 30. And I got picked six feet off the ground and thought, this this is it. I'm going to absolutely hurt hurt myself here. This, something's something's going to go wrong. So there is something to be said for a bit of a lesson. Yeah, I think I did have that advantage. I mean, um, you know, being shown the the basics, you know, how to hold the lines, in which way you hold them, how to inflate the wing. And, you know, he showed me reverse launch uh, and forward launch on that day. In actual fact, on the first day, you know, he had me running um, across the field with, with the wing above my head in one day. So I thought naturally, I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I know how to do this. This is really easy. But it, it, it just shows the value of good instruction because... I didn't do that out of any natural skill at all. I did that because Matt Fox was telling me what I was doing wrong, was correcting me and showed me how to do it. So at the end of one day lesson, I was running fat paramotor run, which is basically a brisk chicken walk. But, you know, with this with this wing uh, above my head and feeling the weight of the wing and remembering telling me just to load the wing a bit with the brake so you can feel it. And then when I went away and got my own wing, I couldn't get the blasted thing to fly. So then I spent half the year convincing myself it was the wing that I'd got that was a load of rubbish. And it, it wasn't. It was just, you know, um, the lack of having that person in my ear, lack of having those skills and things. And it took me a long time then on my own um, to sort of get the knack of getting the wing in the air. And I kind of got there in the end, you know, but it, it, it was a long process without somebody giving me some assistance. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, it definitely is an elongated process given that you haven't got that person there. Um, and uh, I've seen, you know, Aviator in the, in the States, in Florida, they're, one of their key phrases that they say to their students is, be a good robot. Um, yeah. And it's so true, you know, having that instructor telling you what to do, you will inevitably do the right thing to keep you safe and and, and essentially fly, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. But that, that brings on to then self-training. What do you think to self-training, Dan? Um, I've seen some self-trained pilots. I am to a degree, but I wouldn't class myself as a self-trained pilot by any means. It's worrying. If that, if yeah. I was to put it in a couple of words, it, it's worrying to see that the fact that people still want to do that, whether that's lack of funds or they're just a bit anti-establishment. Um, either way, you know, we've got some really good trainers in the UK and in America as well to give that training. Why not? Why would you not do it safely? Yeah. Is my viewpoint on that from having training. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. My take on it is, look, if you want to if you want to train yourself, that's that's kind of fine. I'm not against telling people that you shouldn't shouldn't self-train. But at the same time, I think you should understand the risks of self-training. Now, the problem with self-training is it, it's not actually that hard to fly a paramotor. But a lot of the lessons, you know, it, it's about those safety aspects of things that you don't realise exist until somebody teaches you how to do them. You know, it's, it's like learning to drive, isn't it? The Driving the car is only kind of 5% of it. The rest of it is, uh, is all that road procedure and the skills and the safety and things. And that's what worries me. Now, if you want to do it, you know, and, and that's what you want to do. And I, and I get that because some people want to teach themselves part of the challenge. And, you know, it's like people who want to free climb buildings without ropes and things like that. If you want to do it, that's absolutely fine. But don't try to claim to the rest of us that it's actually a good idea to do it. It might be what you've chose to do, but I think for everyday people, there were so many lessons that Matt Fox taught me about safety, about deflating wings that get out of control, you know, about what to do when things happen in the air, what to do when you get a cravat in the air, you know, if you end up with a collapse, if you end up in a parachutal stall, those kind of things, you know. And I, I think if you don't have the structure of the lesson, you put yourself at risk. And the lessons really, the whole course that I took in Australia is based around the lessons that the Australian uh, hang gliding sort of federation, I forget what they call it, the HGFA, they used to be called the Hang Gliding Federation Australia. It's all the lessons that they learned from all the injuries and the accidents that had happened within that sport in Australia. So they were reflecting on that, and it's reflective learning based on the accidents other people have had. And I think if you ignore those lessons or if you don't get those lessons, um, you put yourself in danger. That's my take on it. But if you want to do it, um, you know, it's it's up to you. But but don't preach to other people that uh, this is a great idea. That's that's my take. I don't know whether you agree with me, mate. I do agree with you. Um, and I've had, given that, you know, I post videos on YouTube, I do get on the odd occasion people coming in and asking, how do I learn to fly and what do I need to do? Yeah, yeah. And my response tends to always be, Look, it's it's deregulated. You don't need a license um, in the UK specifically. Um, you, and you don't actually need to get lessons. However, it's so strongly advised that, you know, you take it under your own jurisdiction of whether you do go with lessons or not. Yeah. You'll definitely get flying a lot quicker with proper training. And that's, yeah. that's fundamentally what we want to be doing, isn't it? You know, flying. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'd like to do, Daniel. I don't do much of that these days. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And I also think, well, you know, if there's a if there's a budget problem, well, you know, 
paramotoring is probably the cheapest form of aviation that there is. But at the end of the day, I think there's, um, you know, you have to understand to, to do this hobby safely. There's, there's a minimum spend and, and a minimum budget that you, you've kind of got to sort out for yourself. It's a bit like driving on roadworthy cars, isn't it? You know, if you're going to drive a car, you don't have to have a flash expensive thing, but you certainly need to have the minimum requirement of tax insurance um mot roadworthy vehicle and those kind of things and i think if you're saying oh look you know i can't afford to to do the flight training and it's not a snobbery but i think you know what you're actually saying is i really can't afford to do this hobby safely that's the way that i see it and i would advise anybody do the flight training then and buy the gear later rather than buy the gear and not do the training that's what i think um, how many people have accidents? I don't know who are untrained compared to trained. I've not seen the statistics at all. Have you seen any of that, Dan? Uh, I'm not hot up on the statistics, but regardless of whether people are trained or not, I know that in the UK, the BHPA are the association that attend those instances um, and mm. give the report on those after a full inspection, whether that's reported to them or not from scale of like you know someone rolling their ankle to someone actually you know potentially losing their life which it does happen um and it's it's funny you should say there's a minimum spend um when i went about it i was um under the illusion that oh i can buy this cheap paramotor and i can repair it to a certain degree because i've done mechanics on um small motorbikes and actually my own cars and stuff like that are quite mechanically minded Uh, went through the whole process of trying to get an old outdated piece of technology running Uh, still sits in the garage actually never flown and I've had two more paramotors since that so um, you're right there is a there is a minimum spend really Um, and it's also a minimum spend of knowledge of what you can buy that's still in a good condition as well you know someone fresh coming into this sport looking at a piece of kit might see what they think is a good deal might not actually be a good deal through lack of knowledge you know so yeah and 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 you know this kind of buying your first gear as well that's something uh that's a trap i fell into or, or i walked into uh myself because everybody told me before i went out and bought gear don't buy your gear until you've learned to fly and you've had advice from your instructor everybody told me that you know uh, and and, I, and I'm supposed to be sensible, you know. It's those that know me in out of paramotoring consider me to be a fairly uh, intelligent and sensible guy. But I ignored every single one of them. So what did I do? I went out and bought a paramotor. I mean, I will, you know, confess that I was pissed that day on on the whiskey and things. But but I bought, I bought this paramotor, five thousand Aussie dollars, by the way. That's about you know three and a half thousand pounds. Just bought this paramotor. And that's without a without a wing um and i've still got it and to be honest with you you know i think when i look now at the tragedy of my paramotor journey because it is if anybody's ever ever followed the vlog um i i probably put it down to one thing it's got nothing to do with my um you know physical prowess or my lack of ability i i mainly put it down to the fact i went out and bought a paramotor before I'd taken advice and I bought the completely wrong paramotor and I actually believe I bought the wrong wing as well um, because um, I had no problems flying the gear 
that I was given by my instructor that he selected for me and out of the myriad of wings that he, he had in his uh, in his shed um, no problems at all but my paramotor I can't get it anywhere near the sky and and that sort of sums up the beauty of going for training first is that you will be on equipment that's right for you and your instruction probably would have different wings and stuff as well for you to use you know most schools nowadays stock all of that equipment um i wish i'd saved a bit more money and just gone straight into training personally but this isn't supposed to be a preach on people should should or shouldn't do what they want but um you know it's just from reflecting back on my own experiences um having actually saved a bit more money and waited and been patient I could have been in the air a lot quicker. Yes, completely agree. If I, if I was going to do it again, uh, I would have bought nothing and I would have just gone down and done the training and uh, with Matt Fox. And then at the end of the training, I would have said, Matt, what do I need to fly now? And Matt would have probably sold me the gear. And I know there's some bias in that because people always say, oh, yeah, they're just there to sell you the gear. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I think... <laughs> Uh, if you're flying equipment, if you've learned to fly equipment that your instructor has provided for you, and I don't believe that they've just uh, decided to represent that gear for no reason. They represent that gear because they've got some faith in it. And, you know, that's the gear that you learned to fly on. And um, you've been flying for, you know, I had to do, I think it was 20 hours, I think it was, I can't remember now, 20 hours flying to get my certificate in Australia. Uh, so I flew 20 hours on this gear and um, you'd like to think at the end of it when, you know, uh, I was patted on the back and shook hands and said, congratulations, you you get your licence in Australia to fly a paramotor. Um, would you like to buy the gear you've been flying for the last 20 hours? And I think what I would have done then is said, yes, please, grab the gear that I'd been flying, go straight home and, and be flying in it straight away. But um, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, look at the problems. Well, there, there's... Yeah, and it it just goes to to say that you know if, if you've been flying that gear for twenty hours, you you know that equipment, you're comfortable yeah. on that that setup. So yeah. when you do end up eventually going away on your own and flying, you should have that bit of confidence with that equipment, and you know that it can fly you. Um, just jumping back into the the rebuild that I did, if I was to go back to that project, and I hope to one day. I don't know if it'd be safe or not, realistically. And I do know about paramotors now. So there is mm. that way in flying that gear and knowing it. Um, mm. And then once you've flown it for a bit, you by that time you'll have built up a bit more experience with other equipment, I would, would have thought, yeah, yeah. Um, that you can make a better informed decision and try out different gear if you want to. So yeah. you've got that knowledge behind you by then. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, Get to get your lessons, buy the gear off your instructor or or buy what he recommends or she recommends. Uh, I've never seen any female instructors thinking about that, but I'm sure there are some kicking around. Um, buy what he or she recommends, get some airtime on that and um, and then you can um, you know you can spread your wings as they <laughs> say and, uh, and and try other equipment and stuff. Brings me on to another thing I was thinking about then. So what's your thoughts, Daniel, on inexperienced instructors? You know, it, it just seems to me, and I can think of a couple of names, um, of people who seem to have had less experience than me, learn to fly a paramotor and then uh, and then decide to become a, an instructor. 
How does that sit? Uh, it's unless you know about them, you don't know mm. about them, and that's the danger of it. You know, absolutely. We're talking here about people fresh into the sport, most likely. Yeah, yeah. So they haven't been around on the forums or. They haven't been to a paramotor flying yet, and they haven't spoken to you know the local flyers. Yeah, people who um, jump into this sport and straight away become an instructor. Yeah, they might have you know that probably not the best interest at the forefront of their mind. You know, instructors need to make money; that's their job. At the end of the day, they will. Um, but I think there's a a level of responsibility that comes with that, and you should have a degree of of flying skill behind you before you can teach someone yes. um and it's it's scary that because it is a deregulated sport you don't actually necessarily need that skill to train anyone yeah i mean i could train someone tomorrow would it be as efficient and as fulfilled as a proper instructor that's you know been doing it for several years and have a lot of years of flying skill behind them probably not yeah, I, I would agree because there's more to being an instructor than being a good pilot as well. You know, it's um, and, and again, you know, I remember with, with Matt Fox and Tribal Flight, Matt Fox was a, a member of the committee or whatever it was for the Hang Gliding Federation of Australia. So he's involved in the meetings and the reflections on accidents and identifying the training needs and things like that. Uh, so being a good pilot, you don't often think about those things. Also delivering, you know, flying lessons, delivering it safely, because it's one thing me knowing how to fly safely, but how do you protect a naive student who puts their lives in your hand? And and they do do. And, you know, there has been incidents of uh, students being killed, um, you know, as students under instruction. Uh, and I find that worrying because I, my thoughts are this, you know, if you, uh, if you want to self-train, you've got the capacity to make that decision. You have autonomy. You make that decision to do it. If you want your best mate or your mate who flies a paramotor to show you how to do it, well, we all understand that that is also self-training. But if you want tuition, as far as I'm concerned, if you are going to pay for tuition, that's a completely different thing. That's a commercial aspect. And I find it surprising there's no regulation behind paid tuition. Because there's an issue with paid tuition. If I pay somebody to teach me to do something, there's uh, there's an assumption there, whether that's right or wrong, that that person uh, is professionally safe and will look after my welfare. And I place my life in their hands. And it's only the same when you have a driving instructor or any kind of a flying instructor, I'm going to put my life in their hands, and I might not know anything about paramotoring. I could have seen a, a couple of videos, you know, on YouTube, thought, this is fantastic. Uh, I was going to say picked up the yellow pages. You've probably never heard of the yellow pages, have you, Daniel? But um, um, <laughs> gone on Google. <laughs> I sound old. Gone on Google, uh, looked up paramotor training, come across Joe Bloggs, uh, and just made the assumption that they are uh, have had the same professional training, you know, as as instructors do. Put my life and my hard-earned cash in their hands, uh, and then find out that you know that they don't have the right skills or experience to protect me as a student, and and so that worries me. So I I 
personally, I think that anybody who is taking money for instruction, that should be regulated. And I'm not one that's that keen on regulating the sport. I'm not a big believer in in regulation. Um, but I do think that instruction should be regulated because, um, you know, people are going to fall foul of bad, um, you know, uh, instructors who, who don't come under the right kind of professional scrutiny. Fair to say? I, I do think that's fair to say. Specifically, the point about um, putting your life in someone else's hands, you know, their priority is probably going to be number one. That's themselves, you know, that they're not in the sky. They should really be putting you as the priority and that's a question you need to ask yourself and not really a question someone might ask themselves because they're so excited to get into the sport yeah um that they might be just really ready to just throw the money at whoever and 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 get flying because it is exciting don't get me wrong and you know we've probably all experienced it and especially both of us you know buying equipment before you're you actually <laughs> yeah. know about it or you're ready yeah, to fly right. you know you just want something to show for it yes um yeah yeah so yeah i think there's there should be a level of um scrutiny uh especially with instructors and to sort of pres- preserve this the sport as well because it is deregulated you know if a lot of people now decide to self-train are they gonna go to the extent to understand air law are they gonna be breaking um sort of air law you know going yeah. into airspace that they shouldn't be in especially military yeah um would would bring the forces that be to look at paramotoring as a whole and yeah. sub 70 and say right do we need to put licenses into place here yeah that's right and that um you know and there's the danger of that happening if something significant goes wrong uh, our country has a, a history of knee-jerk reaction to things and it would take, you know, I hate to say it, it always sounds like extremist, but, you know, one paramotor to crash into a school. There I've said it, you know, used, uh, using alarmism there. But it only takes one event like that and then suddenly, you know, uh, you get all the do-gooders are going to crawl out of the woodwork, they're going to be petitioning, and before you know it, uh, the hobby's going to be regulated, licensed, um, people are going to be making money out of it. It's going to cost us a lot more money. We'll have less freedoms and things like that. Uh, I'm a big believer in self-regulation. I'll, I'll tell you a good example of that, especially for anybody listening, um, any of our US cousins over there. So uh, in the UK, um, sailing uh, in the sea is unregulated, yet we have one of the safest sea safety records in the world, yet we've got one of the most unsafe seas, you know, the North Sea. It's quite a volatile, dangerous place. You don't survive very, very minutes at all if you fall overboard in the North Sea. But despite that, we have an extremely good safety record. Um, and it's unregulated, but it's, well, I won't say it's unregulated, it's self-regulated. So it's regulated, you know, by, uh, by clubs and um, uh, by the people who enjoy the hobby and things like that. Uh, and that's what I, you know, um, what I'd like to see with, um, you know, with paramotoring, that there's that degree of self-regulation. And I think part of that should be some actual regulation of instructors, the way that you also do with sailing. So if you want a sailing qualification, if you want to go away and get a day skipper qualification, you have to go to a regulated to an authorised or an official instructor to get that qualification. And I think that's in- entirely just and i think if we do that um we'll keep a high 
level of safety um, in paramotoring and we'll protect our autonomy to be able to do this fairly, fairly freely. But uh, but you are right, it worries me, Daniel. <laughs> it's like, especially here where I live in Lincolnshire, we're, sur- we're surrounded by, um, you know, uh, airfields and things like that. And it's uh, it's a minefield. There, that sounds, an airfield's a minefield. But it, it, it is, isn't it? You know, because yeah. some people don't even realise this. these things called air traffic zones and minimum flying heights and, you know, minimum heights over populated areas and all these kind of things. And uh, they're just going to jump into a paramotor and... Uh, um, you know, break a lot of air laws or even worse, end up in the turbines of one of the military jets at Waddington. Who knows, eh? <laughs> yeah, I do, I do agree with you. It is a bit of a minefield around where you uh, where you live. I remember XCing over to yours and <laughs> you had to fly through a, a, low, a low-flying corridor to get there just through like three military airspaces. Um, and through like want of not sounding like we're the police on, you know, paramotoring and you should get training and all this, you know, it's paramotoring is fun and training will allow you to have fun safely for your own safety, the sport safety and everyone else that's around you as well. Um, you know, I think it was Jeff Goen who, who said, um, wrote the quote, uh, it's, it's ours to lose. And it's so true. Yeah. Um, we could lose power motoring tomorrow if an incident happened. Yes. It was a yeah, yeah. bad enough one for the public's eyes to say, you know, what are these guys doing? Why are they deregulated? Yeah. Um, I do think it's going to get a little bit more tricky in, in the coming future with uh, like drone highways and stuff like that for deliveries. Yeah. Um, so it's important to know now that, that, that you know, the training is going to be the, the way forward to keeping it viable option what's the most useful thing do you think your instructors have taught you then daniel uh, when you were a student and of course we're we're still all students you know and um, um but what do you think the most valuable lesson that you were taught was that is a very good question um i don't think i've stopped learning from my instructor and i've been flying for a year and a half at this point i think um Honestly, the initial lessons I don't think are possibly the the most um, important ones. Obviously, they get you flying and, and get you safely. But I think you actually start learning to fly when you're out there experiencing it for yourself. Yeah. Um, I've, and s- sort of specifically, um, I'm thinking about a time when I was actually at flying and in a single flight I had, two instances self-caused by myself where I thought actually I need to rein myself back in here because if I carry on flying like this it's gonna end up bad so the instance I'm talking about I sort of wanted I wanted to launch there was a lot of people out set up um, and because of the how the airfield was uh, I had to go to a much smaller runway position than I actually could have had and uh, ended up flying very close over like everyone else's vehicles and stuff. Um, so it's a really bad launch. Luckily, I got away from that. And later on in that flight, um, I just sort of started to learn a foot drag. So, you know, having a bit of fun. And uh, I actually clipped a tree. Um, and there has been people suffer some very bad injuries and actually died from hitting trees. Um, so I 
so yeah, your instructor is there to guide you in the best way. Um, and I'm not trying to like belittle training in any way in that sense, yeah. but I do genuinely think you learn best by doing it yourself. You know, yeah. your, your instructor should teach you everything you need to know, but you actually learn to fly when you start experimenting and making those mistakes, hopefully not not bad mistakes for yourself. Well, I think that's right. I think you've hit the nail on the head because I don't think learning to fly is learning to fly. You know, it's um, it's about giving you the lessons so you can go on and teach yourself to fly safely. You know, so it's about this is how you get into the air safely. This is what to do if things go wrong in the air. These are the things to look out for. Okay, we're going to show you how to handle a wing and thing. But now you're equipped with all that information uh, to keep you safe. Now get out there and learn to fly. And I think that brings me in a circle to what I said earlier about what instruction is. It's all those things you don't think of. It's all those little lessons that, um, you know, you, you don't think that, that matter. I mean, the question I asked you was, you know, those little pearls um, that you learnt, you know, when, when you, were, you were being taught. One of the, the pearls I learned was, um, you know, three attempts at launching and then stop. Because if you haven't got up after three, you're going to hurt yourself at four or five. Uh, and it's things like that that I guess, you know, you you wouldn't be taught if you were self-taught. Um, you know, obviously the dangers of water as well. I think, you know, that's preached a lot on the internet and stuff now. But uh, being within safe gliding distance of safety as well, you know, that's one of those things that, uh, again, you know, is if, if you just put a paramotor on your back and a wing, you might not automatically think about that. There's a few videos out there that will tell you about the... Uh, uh, the dangers of that, but that was the first lesson I ever had. I mean, funnily, if I already knew about that anyway, because I, uh, I have a PPL as well, Daniel. Oh, I used nice. to fly light, the airline aircraft. I've not done much of it recently, and of course, that was always a concern. So you, you're always looking for your next landing zone, and you always want to be a, 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 in a place in the sky where there is a landing zone for you. And you can guarantee the first time you position yourself in the sky where there is no available landing zone, if you have an engine out, you'll have an engine out. That's just <laughs> bastard's law, is it? Or is it sod's law? I don't know. It's the same thing. Talking of uh, engine out and uh, having your instructor there. So I'm putting together the, another competition video and it's of my actual um, learnings at the competition. So I learned a lot there. Um, but I had an engine out on my first flight at the competition and luckily mm. Chili, my uh, instructor uh, came along as well. So that it was really handy to have him there. Um, and yeah, his, uh, his sage advice was you either look for a road and then you look for the pub. <laughs> so if you have an engine out road and where's the nearest pub, wait to be picked up after that. I think mm. that's some pretty good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty sage advice, you know, <laughs> what about the use of videos then in learning? Is there a role for videos in learning? Do you think? Ooh, now, yes and no. I think, uh, it depends on where you're going with the videos. Um, so in a sense of like learning to ground handle, for example, might be a good video and there is a good video out there by aviator i believe as well about how to start ground handling yeah i've seen that. but yeah, it's, it's good yeah you're, you're still missing that 
having that person there with you, talking you through what you need to do, reassuring you that you're doing the right thing. Um, and yeah, it can go from that degree to, you know, there's videos out there to teach you how to do a wing over or a sat. Yeah. Which are much more advanced maneuvers. Um, and they can go quite wrong. And actually myself at the moment, I find myself looking at how do you do wing overs? How do you do sats? Because I'm at the point in my flying where I'm like ready to go to the next thing. Whereas the right thing would probably yes. be to go to an SIV and have someone who knows what they're doing, tell you over yes. a radio with a, with a support boat over the, over the ocean, you know? Um, so you're as safe as you can be. Yeah, I, I would agree because I think, um, you know, sort of having carnal knowledge of uh, acrobatic manoeuvres can be life-saving saving, and it's definitely taken to a next skill level. But the actual process of attaining that skill level is quite dangerous. So uh needs to be, I think, under the, um, you know, so the observation of somebody who has the right skills to be able to guide you in the right direction, tell you when to... You have to throw that reserve shoot, um, that kind of thing. And that's what I would need. I'd need somebody to say, throw it now, Sean. Now, 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 Sean. Yeah, and uh, that's what you need to hear, isn't it? Um, I think if you do it on your own, you know, um, uh, I think you do set yourself up. It reminds me, mate, you know, when I was young, when I was young, I learned when I learned to fly aeroplanes, um, I was 19 years old when I got my PPL. And... Like every 19-year-old, I was just full of bravado, thought I could do anything, you know, and thought I was indestructible. You've no idea how many hours of flying time I tried to do a loop-the-loop in a Cessna 152, which would have probably killed me if I'd have done it. And, uh, do you know what I think about it? I think, thank God I never actually pulled it off. I'd have probably pulled the wing off, you know, and spiralled down to the ground and stuff. But, um, you know, that's a, that's a younger version of the... Uh, fat paramotor guy yes yeah, so, um, yeah I, I agree with you mate um, you know it's, uh, it's it's dangerous for that kind of thing but if you're under instruction again I think videos can be um, they can assist in the lessons that you're getting I think with an instructor because uh, it's nice to actually visualize and see things and watch them on video and I think sometimes videos enthuse as well don't they you know when you see them so they um they keep you enthusiastic and stuff but uh i again we're back to preaching people on self-learning i i don't <laughs> think i'd watch youtube video and then go out and fly do you reckon eh? you could do it but it wouldn't probably be safe mm. and it's it's just like it, it's just the same thing in in my mind you know why why wouldn't you just spend that money and, and get in the air quicker and, and safer um and it's it's a dangerous thing with um youtube and sort of you know the the time we're sort of in at the moment now is mm. that you know people people are looking for views on their on their videos so they're going to likely give the information that people are looking for mm. you know how do, how do you ground handle yes. um how do you do this this maneuver you know because that's going to get people to click on that video they get views and then also i believe that you know people in sort of like the, the time now is that you, you're invited to the idea that you can do anything you want to do, which I do believe is quite dangerous as well, because 
sort of leads you into a false sense of hope when you see people pulling off these maneuvers yes. or pulling off, you know, foot, foot drags and stuff like that. Um, and actually, it's until you actually start doing the flying side of things, you actually realise actually that's a lot difficult, more difficult than yes. you, you actually first perceived it to be. Yes, yeah. Um, things are going to... Mate, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, I used to watch Tucker Got videos as well uh, back in the day and stuff. And um, uh, the only problem I have with Tucker Got videos is Tucker Got makes everything look like it's easy. And uh, I can remember, <laughs> yes, I remember when I thought, that looks easy. You just put one of these parachutes on your bike, put a fan on it, and you just float around. You know, and it was, and I almost thought that was paramount. You could almost go to sleep, you know, on a paramotor and you could. You could just float around the fields and stuff, and um, so it it does. I can't believe how much hard work it was. I thought Tucker God doesn't make it look hard like this, you know. He just floats off in his um, in his paramotor. <laughs> so, so yeah, it does lead you into um, uh, definitely into a into a false uh, false sense of security. I think when you you watch some of these videos, uh, and especially as you say when. Um, you know, the the actual agenda behind the person making the video is really to get the hits, isn't it? Uh, and to get you in there, and then they might be reaping uh, the rewards of, of, you know, sort of wannabe or um, or armchair paramotor pilots. And, and what is worrying is you can buy some cheap gear. I've seen it. You know, you could um, get it into your brain very, very easily that I could go out and buy this, you know, 15-year-old... Um, wing, you know, and this 20-year-old paramotor, and I'll watch this video, and I could be flying next week, and uh, uh, I'd probably put it to people that the only flying you'll be doing is, um, you know, flying along at about 70 miles per hour in the back of an ambulance. That's probably <laughs> the flying you'll end up doing. Myself, I fell into that as well, you know. I bought a Solo 210, which you'd look at now and go, man, that is some outdated technology. They were water pumps to start with mm. before they were aircraft engines. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, technology's advanced. Um, so, yeah, you could quite easily pick up something. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to the sport and uh, I'm very inexperienced, really. And, and, um, but apparently, you know, in fact, I know this because I've got a an old wing Sigma Six, I think it is. Uh, even the technology of the wings, wings going back fifteen years, uh, were nowhere near as easy to fly or as safe as as the wings we have now. So the technology on wings has has changed, you know, um, immensely uh, over years. So if you go out and buy a fifteen year old wing, um, you know, you're already putting yourself, I think, at a significant disadvantage. The other thing I was going to mention as well, something close to my heart about, you know, the, the idea of self-training and things, and I guess that's okay if you're 25 years old, as fit as a fiddle, fairly tough, you don't break very easily and things like that, but there is an increasing uh, appetite for this sport amongst Older, more infirm, uh, fatter, you know, coming from my point of view, a cohort of people who are into paramotoring as well. And the other advantage, I think, to training um, is that your instructor can help you work that out. They can work out, you know, whatever sort of um, handicap you you have towards flying, um, 
they can help uh, sort of adjust that. And, and, and my instructor did that, you know. He spent a lot of time with me trying to figure it out himself because I was the heaviest pilot that Matt Fox had ever had. And he spent a fair amount of time hanging me, you know, um, in paramotors, scratching his head, looking, deciding what he thought was right and uh, um, and all that kind of business, you know, and then uh, adjusting what he did to get me flying. Um, that kind of uh, bespoke custom training comes from an experienced instructor. Um, I don't think you get that from uh, from a YouTube video. You, I reckon you could, um, but it would take many, many hours of watching and and learning and and understanding whether that's the right way to go about it. Who knows? You know, like you might actually make the wrong decision after going through all that rigmarole of hang tests and buying different machines. You'd end up probably spending more money in the long run for that. Um, but you say there's uh, it's a growing number of people, you know, who are getting older, older and bigger. But I, I think that you know, paramotor is still quite an expensive hobby. And the if you, if I look at my statistics, especially on YouTube, um, the the general sort of uh, age and of people is sort of around sort of thirties to sort of fifties. Yeah. You know, that's who's got the disposable yes. income. I had to save up two, three years before I could afford to buy like a second hand motor that would actually get me flying um i ended up getting a reasonably good deal but um it was through having time and, and not the money yes. and not the other way around which it tends to be for newer pilots yeah that's true isn't it um it's been a while since i looked at my statistics um for a fair amount of time i remember looking at my youtube tube statistics that um the percentage of my uh, viewers, not followers, viewers who were male was a hundred percent. So I, 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 at one point, I thought I must be quite sort of uh, off-putting for the ladies. You know, I think it's changed a little bit now. There's a few more ladies there, but um, um, I definitely seem to appeal to the to the to the middle-aged guys for some reason. That's a bit worrying, isn't it? <laughs> well, we all want to appeal to the ladies, mate. But you know, I, I think. <laughs> I think that given the sport is very male dominated, you know, I think you're going to end up with that statistic anyway. It's it's a shame, really, because you know, it is a sport for anyone to do, and it I think is. why yeah. why it's now making the shift towards more female pilots, which is great, mm. um, is because the gear is becoming that much lighter you know it's yeah. um i think that was that was a big deal breaker back in the day but i think that a lot more people are seeing that they can do it now and why yeah. shouldn't they you know they've got the choice why not i i still don't kind of get that my experience is being small as a male and and slim and light is an advantage you know you can end up like yourself daniel with a little <laughs> tiny atom and uh uh, and a two meter wing, you know, and, and off you go. So I, I, you know, I, I see, you know, sort of uh, the lighter you are, um, is more of an advantage. So there's this part of me that actually thinks, to be honest, the paramotoring probably suits the female form more than than it does the male form. If uh, we subscribe to the idea that that women tend to be uh, smaller and lighter than men uh, physically. But so it's it's interesting why there's not more 
uh, female pilots. Maybe it's because to fly um, a bed sheet with a fan on your back, you've got to be a bit stupid. And, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> and men are more likely to be stupid. That probably could be it. You know, I mean, so it's knows. probably a big factor in it, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah that's uh, right. Women are sat there thinking, I ain't that fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's it's either but, that or they can see that uh, all the men are out at the field and they just like want their own space, which is understandable as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, it, it reminds me, you know, watching Tucker videos and um, I watched a video once... Uh, and took a, got his girlfriend flying with him. What's her name? I forgot her name now. It's gone out the out my head. Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Yeah. Sorry, Jacqueline. And um, um, so took a, took Jacqueline flying, and he could just tell. I I can I can see the scenario now. He's like, Hey, Jacqueline, I need to make another video. I haven't made a video this week. I was, I've got this great idea. We take you flying again. Me and you all go flying, uh, and I'll produce this video. And Jacqueline's like, Oh, oh, okay. And um, and then so 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 off they go and took us like yeah oh, this is great Jacqueline's coming with me uh, woohoo this is fantastic and stuff and 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 Jacqueline's like yeah right and they get into the air and I think they you know they're in the air about fifteen minutes and then Jacqueline's like uh, I hate to be that guy but I'm really cold. And Tucker's like, that's me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then. All right, then. We'll have you seen them? Oh, we'll circle round and we'll and we'll land then. And I'm just thinking, Jacqueline, thinking, I ain't into this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, let me, let me. This is what you do, Tucker. I'm going back to my motorbikes, you know. And um, <laughs> I remember seeing that, thinking, poor Jacqueline, she's just doing that for the video. That's me. I'm the I'm the cold one. I absolutely hate the cold. Um, but but yeah, in in terms of um, like bringing your partner up with you to fly i i've got that idea in, in my head that someday i'll have a ta- tandem rig and i'll be able to take my partner up and i keep i keep asking her the question do you do you fancy it and it's it's never a definitive yes i'd like to go and do that but she's open to the idea which is a start my wife's um in every in a million le- years you fat bastard that's that's my <laughs> wife you know and uh, <laughs> it's like do you fancy doing it nope Nope, that's it, and it's just a complete full stop and things. So I'm going to get get nowhere with my, with my with my wife at all. So I'm I'm surprised you, you say you hate the cold, but it was a bloody cold day of the day you flew into Fat Parameter HQ. That was a chilly day, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, I think I was wearing two pairs of socks, three leg layers, and about five or six like top layers with two pairs of gloves. You know, I'm not one for the cold, mate. Yeah, no. Is that why you drink tea when you're flying your paramote? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, keep keep you warm. Makes you need a piss, though. That's the only problem. Yeah, well, so does the cold, though, doesn't it? That that gets to your blood a bit. This is the thing that worries me the most about flying in the UK because, you know, you have to realise that I learned to fly in, uh, uh, in Queensland, in Australia, you know, and... Uh, it was funny if uh, I, I don't know, Daniel, you know, whether you've, you've ever watched some of my early videos and stuff and, and things like that. But uh, Queensland's a strange place because the the, uh, the time to fly is when the sun comes up and the sun comes up about six o'clock. But at night time in Queensland, in Brisbane, it's about zero degrees, sometimes minus one. 
But that's the time you have to fly when the sun comes up because it goes from zero degrees at six o'clock in the morning to 40 degrees at 10 o'clock in like, like about four hours. So when you used to go there, you were absolutely freezing, but you couldn't go and fly with all your thick clothes on and things because it was only like, you know, you, you get up there and three quarters of an hour later, the sun would be beaming down and you'd be sweating. So um, I'm used to the uh, to the hot weather. I don't think I'm going to cope, cope very well with flying in the UK. And because I'm already a little bit tight in my harness, um, I think, you know, any additional clothing and things like that is, is going to make things a little bit more challenging. You could always get one of those cocoon pods that they've got for paramotors now, which is like the old um, paragliding um, pods. Oh, I didn't know. I've not seen them. Keep your legs nice and warm. Yeah, I've not seen those yeah, at all. Uh, they look like a nice bit of kit. Yeah, probably make you a bit more aerodynamic, a yeah. bit better on fuel as well. Well, I've seen those with the, um, um, you know, with the paragliding. Um, you know, I had a look at those. I mean, when I when I learned to fly, again, slightly different model, as I said, in Queensland, uh, you, the, you had to learn to paraglide before you learned to paramotor. Uh, it didn't mean you had to do any major paragliding, but at least you had to be able to... Um, uh, jump off, you know, a, a, a relatively shallow gradient hill and glide down to the bottom. Do you know what I mean? And and that's how you were taught and stuff. But you, yeah. You had to learn to do that. And, and it's interesting. Have you never fancied that? Because a big part of me, I went there to learn to paramotor, but there was a big part of me that thought, do you know what? This paragliding is really kind of cool. It's quiet. Uh, and you land so much more gracefully. You really do just sort of drop down on your toes, you know, like a like an angel dropping out of the skies. Um, uh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I wanted to do a little bit more, to be honest with you, but uh, but didn't get the opportunity. Ever thought about doing that? Uh, yeah, I have actually. Um, I do want to take some paragliding lessons. I wanted to do it this year, but I don't think I'm going to have the chance with the things I'm doing. Um, just to like sort of understand the air a bit more and thermals and and it's just like another aspect of, of flying really isn't it I suppose you end up whatever aviation you're in you'll probably evolve it into something else at some point or find an interest in something else as well um, because once you've taste, tasted the air it's uh, quite addictive I think I enjoyed the, the kind of the silence of that paramotors can be quite noisy can't they Anyway, Daniel, listen, you know, we've been, we've been chomping our chops now for, yeah. for well over an hour and things, and um, we're probably running out of things to say uh, in, in, uh, in this instant. Anything else you'd like to add before I kind of um, wrap things up here? I think that's it. Get, get official training. Be, be safe. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you'll be in the air quicker and more efficiently if you go to an instructor that's known in the community. That's the, that's the priority, I think. Well, you've heard it from the horse's mouth there. That's what we think. We know what we're talking about, don't we, Dan? Um, experts. So just to let you know, yeah, we, we are the experts and things. You've been listening to the Fat Paramotor pad- podcast. Listen, if anybody's got any ideas about what you'd like to hear on this podcast, let us know. Um, um, send us some messages and things. If you want to be a guest here and you're, you're interested, uh, that would be great. So anyway, Daniel, thank you. Like I said, you've been listening to the Fat Paramotor Pad Podcast. You've been listening to Daniel Jones. You've been listening to me, Sean, the Fat Paramotor Guy. And we'll catch you very, very soon, hopefully, on the next podcast. Bye for now. 
So you'll see. See you all soon. <laughs>